0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is Freight Has an Identity Crisis with my friend Jordan Graff. Jordan is the CEO of Founder and CEO of Highway, where he's leading the charge in solving one of the biggest challenges facing the transportation industry today, and that is the lack of connection between digital and physical carrier identity, and this is leading to all sorts of fraud in our space all sorts of double brokering i saw an article in the wall street journal recently about it so it tells you it's getting to the wider business community that we have a problem and jordan and his team over at highway are trying to solve that problem very interesting guy very successful guy so check out my interview with jordan Graf. so how's it going jordan
1: good good to see you joe thanks for having me
0: i'm excited to talk to you this is a very interesting topic so jordan please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm based here in Dallas, Texas. My background has been in banking and software development. Um, prior to Highway, I ran a business called Triumph Pay, which is a carrier payments product for freight brokers. And then I started Highway about 18 months ago. And
0: hey, what does Highway do?
1: Yeah, so Highway solves the carrier identity problem for freight brokers. And why that matters is, is you know, when you look at the biggest. Challenges, more missed opportunities we face in, in broker freight today. You know, things like carrier identity theft, dispatcher services pretending to be carriers, or double brokering. All those are really at their core identity problems. And so we want to solve those by, by proactively getting to um, a true digital and physical carrier identity.
0: Well, it seems like we have the technology to do that. And it's funny, every time we make advancements in technology, like I can pay, now I can pay that online. Well, yeah, but now people can also steal my identity online. And we all know in our personal lives what these identity theft has caused. But we also, in the the freight brokerage world, we also know that when I book a truck, I don't see that truck driver. I don't see that truck. I never meet them in person. I talk to them on the phone. And that's a problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's honestly why it attracts so much fraud is because you have a digital engagement, driving a physical transaction. And, and, you know, you think about banking, right? You know, you probably could like we talked about earlier in in the early days of banking in the nineties and eighties, call your banker and have them do something for you, right? Or send me, or maybe you still have a small town community bank where that's the reality, but where things have moved is now it's moved to digital identity to even even more so in digital banking, like locking down that digital identity to make sure it's really you moving that money. And that's what's missing in freight. And what we're trying to provide is bridging the gap between someone digitally interacting with you, whether it's over email or phone or in your carrier web portal or your carrier load board and tying that back to who they physically really are and reducing the risk that there's a delta between the two.
0: Yeah. And again, this, this is a strange business. Most people, meet their customers on a regular basis. They might have met them day one when they started working together. In so many cases now, when you're in logistics, my customer is based in California, but I'm moving freight for them in the Midwest and the Northeast, and they're based out West, and I'm in the Midwest, and we never meet unless we both go to the same conference. Unless you have a ton of freight. I mean, if you have millions, tens of millions, maybe there's an opportunity for me to fly and go meet you. But the average transaction, I don't think we do that. I, I don't think most people have enough freight to worry about. I, wrong way to say it. They have enough to worry about, not enough to justify a whole bunch of flights back and forth. But even if I meet my customer, I don't necessarily meet all my carriers. And we all work with so many small carriers that it doesn't, not like they're going to say, yeah, come to my house and we'll meet. <laughs> like, there, there's just not opportunity in this business.
1: Yeah, no, and, and you're exactly right. And what's fascinating is if you look at like how we got here, right? So a lot of people are like, how did this happen? Why, why is this so bad right now? Um, as bad as it's ever been. And there's a couple of factors driving it. The first is the rise of di- uh, freight brokers. Freight brokers as a percentage of total for hire transportation, truckload transportation is the highest it's ever been.
0: What do you think it's at? What percentage of all freight?
1: Okay, so obviously market cycles will change that, but I think it's 40 to 50%. Of a four hour truckload, depending on market conditions. Really? Yeah.
0: I've heard people say thirty percent of all freight is brokered, They're with a freight broker in the middle. I I don't know. I mean, you might be right. You're you're closer to it than I am. I've heard. I've asked people different times, and they say the number of if somebody has actual data, please share it with us. It, it, I think it's probably incredibly difficult to even track. But to your point, we have a lot of freight brokers in the middle. Whether it's thirty percent or 50%. It doesn't really matter. We have a lot of freight brokers in the middle and how is that causing problems?
1: Oh, it's causing problems. I mean, there's well, a, it's caused, so it's it's, it it's solving a
0: problem, but it's also <laughs> causing other problems, that's the wrong way to say it.
1: Exactly. And that's what I was trying to get at. It's like, you know, they, the the freight broker community is growing really fast because they're solving problems and they're more shippers. and more
0: sophisticated too.
1: More and more sophisticated, more and more integrated, more and more taking on more of the complexity off the shipper and, and, and handling it internally for them. So what that allowed is honestly it allowed the proliferation of the the carrier base in America and the fragmentation of it, right? Because as a new as a carrier, I have really easy access to capital, which didn't come from broker freight. But let's just say you had that, right, with equipment finance and even whether it's from the OEMs or the the money from banks, it's easy. It didn't take a lot of capital to get in. And now with freight brokers controlling so much of the of freight, it's really easy for me to, to find freight, you know, before Coca, you know, Coca-Cola is never going to work with me as a one truck operator, but through Schneider, through, you you know, through Covenant, through these, you know, large brokerages, I can get through access. Through Robinson, Robinson,
0: yeah, or TQL or whoever.
1: So that happens. And now you have this proliferation of, 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 the, of the, the, the long tail of the carrier base. And that led to what you just described, which is a growing gap between physically knowing a carrier and the, uh, what percentage of carriers you physically know you work with. And it's as high as it's ever been where, you know, you have carriers coming in off the load boards. And a lot of people like to po- point to the public load boards and say, DAT and truck stop are the causes of the problem. They're not like th- they're solving a the problem too. And just as you solve problems and they gain steam, you create new problems. And this is the one, which is you have a lot of movement, of small carriers in and out of different brokers networks and it's just today unfederated there's nothing you know really getting to the heart of who you are as you try and move quickly in and out of different brokers networks.
0: yep and let me ask you this question i know that a lot of trucking companies are saying hey we have 400 trucks and we were talking about this before hit record i have 400 trucks and i said well how many are owner operators well, everyone but me, right? So 399 of my of my fleet is owner-operators who don't necessarily say they're part of my fleet. They don't think, they don't sell themselves as part of my fleet. They say, I'm in my own business. I'm an owner-operator. How does this cause problems for the space?
1: Yeah, so I would say there's, there's a lot of ambiguity right now as brokers look to try and see what the equipment portfolio of a carry looks like most of the data out there that they can consume from, from that's available is carrier provided. And, and, and we, you know, just coming from a banking world, we operate with a zero trust framework and that means, Hey, every claim. needs nice. to be Nice way
0: to be Jordan.
1: <laughs> hey man, when you, when your business must, is, must
0: be nice to be in a relationship with you.
1: <laughs> it's actually healthy, right? You make a claim and you verify it. No, it's in, and, in and look, and, and that's, And that's part of why we exist. And part of why it makes sense to use highway to do this is because we do the hard, heavy lifting of going to all these sources to gather equipment data on carriers. And so we can present to you an accurate representation of the carrier's fleet. And, you know, if there's, you know, then we're, we're the independent third party source that you're referencing. So it doesn't impact your relationship. It's just like, this is what they say, right? Allow you to appeal to another authority in the event that, that, you know, there is a dispute about how many reefer trailers they have.
0: Right. Well, and so when I, let's just say I am an owner operator and I get some freight from these guys. And again, I'm not against owner operators. It seems like a, it seems like the market really has adopted that model, which is we're going to have owner operators and they're going to work with larger carriers and they're going to work directly with brokers also. If a carrier says I will move that and I'm, they're giving it to an owner operator, is that a problem?
1: No, and it, it's not. And like it, the, that system works. But there are things that have to be done right, right? There has to be proper insurance in place. And we see a lot of times there isn't, right? They're, they don't have the right insurance policy or coverage to cover let alone the cargo, but sometimes even the auto liability associated with that owner operator running under their authority. And you could get 10 people in the room that have a lot of experience around this, and they're gonna have 10 different opinions about what it means to be legally operating as a leased on carrier under someone's authority. And, and what that means, as relates specifically, as I'm saying, to insurance. So it's not a it's not a problem when it's working well. And I think if you look at fleets that have you know large midsize fleets that have fifty hundred or even mega fleets that have you know thousand two thousand power units, if you have fifty you know if five percent of your total fleet is owner operators, that's not a that's not a big concern. But if like you said, ninety nine percent of your fleet is owner operators, then you know what's really at the heart there what what are we what are we dealing with is it really just a broker a brokerage operating with carrier authority
0: yeah well we'll get back to this, some of this cuz i i want to delve a little more into this idea of i i have a trusted carrier in my network and i have all the information i know their insurances i know their authority i know all this and i work with them because they are this and now they're handing off business to owner operators which again, I think for the most part is just fine. That's how the industry works. But I, as the shipper and as the broker, want to make sure that we are not getting ourselves into trouble. And also, I don't want to get my partners into trouble. And I don't think, I know some of this is pure scam where we have, and we'll get to some of the differences here, but some is pure scam. But I think also many companies maybe didn't know or don't know I'm including myself, and there's another aspect of this, maybe cutting corners. You know, I can see where you just go, yeah, we're supposed to do this, this, and this, but no one checks <laughs> until Highway, but uh, we'll get back into that. But first, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started this company, Highway.
1: Yeah, I grew up in a small town in western Oklahoma on I-40 called Clinton, Oklahoma, down about 6,000 people, and went to Baylor University, after Baylor, met my wife at Baylor, we both went and worked for J.P. Morgan and the Investment Banking Group. We covered a lot of food retailers.
0: Where was that at?
1: We were in Dallas for about a year and then we were in New York for two years.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. Married, no kids, working, two working professionals. It was it was a lot of fun. It was not a lot of responsibility. It was fun. Now we have three small kids and that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's
0: a different kind of fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It is. It's a different kind of fun and it's it's good
0: better so I heard somebody say going out and getting drunk with your friends in your twenties is good practice for when you've got little kids because they still throw up on you and they' they don't make any sense <laughs> and they can't be can't be reasoned with
1: <laughs> yeah fair. fair enough that's a a fair analogy yep. yeah, yeah. so uh, it's a lot more kids are a lot more fun than, than you know hanging out. I'd say kids are a lot more fun and fulfilling than than Anything never happened before.
0: So, what was next? What's what was after J.P. Morgan?
1: I went. I worked for a growth equity firm, private equity firm in Boston, covering food manufacturers, CPG companies, and retailers, specifically a lot of food retail. And then I actually left there and I started a grocery delivery business in Florida called Vege Foods back in 2014. Actually, owned some reefer trucks. I was a terrible carrier. Like if you saw me on the highway, you should never work with me. I was that. I was not good. And so, but i p- spent putting.
0: <laughs> it's a hard business. Spent plenty
1: of money at a thermo key dealership. Yeah. I spent a lot of money at a thermo key dealership fixing those those trucks. But it was it was a great experience. It's where I learned how to start learning how to code. And at the end of that summer, you know, we'd sold a lot of groceries I and mean, it was it was fun. We were growing. But my dad got sick and he needed a liver transplant. And so Ooh, I went to the boy. Cleveland clinic and I was a living liver donor for my dad. So I was had to shut VK foods down and for about six months just in a hospital bed and in a hotel room, just learning how to code.
0: Wow. So was, I hope your dad's okay. and I hope you you see him. You're fine.
1: I'm, fine. I'm fine. Yeah. So it's about nine years going on, going on about nine years and he's still with us. He's actually here in Dallas with us right now. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It, it, it changed his life. He would, he would have been dead. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it changed your life too. So you end up closing that business. And what did you, what'd you get into after that?
1: Well, I really loved coding. So I like, I, I got to experience that at vacate foods. You know, we were trying to deliver, twenty thousand dollars in groceries in one day and that sound doesn't sound like much, but when you think about average price of three dollars an item and across three temperature zones, reverse packed into a truck based on delivery route, like you realize that you can't do that in Excel and paper. So that's where I started like building little bitty systems to like help us do those things and fell in love with it. And so I sold my first IT consulting project from a hospital bed in Cleveland to a equipment rental business back in Florida. They delivered bikes and beach chairs. It was It's a complex routing system where you have to go, you know, you, you go out delivering and come back picking up or was complex to me at the time at 25. And that's where I started CrateBind and building an IT development company. And it was a great experience. I never wanted to really run an IT development shop. So was that, was the name
0: CrateBind? That was a company you started?
1: Yeah. because when you run a grocery delivery business you're always out of crates. Right. <laughs> that's why it's a terrible name. I was not good at branding. I don't know that I've ever been good at branding, but that's it. Yeah.
0: I like the I like the new company named Highway. That's that's a good one. So it's a good one. I've noticed I interview a lot of people, I noticed that companies have a name and whatever whatever name they pick, it's fine. And then at some point as they grow, they change their name. And I always think they end up with some somebody saying, hey, this name just doesn't work. And I, I've, I was talking to somebody today and I said, their, their name was like six letters that went together, like that stand for something. And I was like, that can't work. This can't work because it was like M M D S. You're know, like, no, 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 figure out a name. But anyway, so... What happened to Crapebind, and when? When did you end up getting into this business?
1: Yeah, so we we grew it. Um, we grew it to about twenty, thirty developers, and I had a partner in it with me, and and we started doing some work for Triumph. So my brother was the CEO of Triumph Bancorp. Um, and that's Triumph Pay. Guy. Yeah, so they Triumph Pay was a product that they had started. They've been kind of at it for two or three years, and looking for someone to come in and run it. And um, I really wanted to run a product, and I love my brother, and so. I sold out my interest in great buying to my partner and went and took over TriPay, and, and and, ran that for them for about four years. So
0: that's, nice. that's so, how I got so, here. So you've had some, you've had a lot of varied experience. You were a carrier. You also did the factoring. So you understand how important factoring is to this business. So when and why did you start highway? What, and also when I say when and why, what hole did you see in the market? What did you say this is not being addressed and because I, I, we had exchanged some emails yesterday and you said, I feel like I got a kind of a brand new kind of company, some new freight tech business. And to some extent, I think you do. So what did you see that was a problem?
1: Yeah, I think it I came from all my different varying experience, whether it was banking and understanding risk and how you look at, you know, companies holistically and think about where they have both you know idiosyncratic and systemic risk i think it's looking it was you know software development and building lots of different apps for different people and getting that exposure and then getting exposed to freight brokerage when i was at try and pay helped me see that when you talk to like this is what i learned when you would you know talk to someone when you're building their product it's like a mechanic they can tell you what they hear or why the car is not working the way they they think it should be working but the underlying problem is always different and and so with with brokerage you know we would we we really helped solve and try and pay the payments problem of dealing with all these factoring companies and in that you know they would say man these factoring companies are wrong they're doing all these things they're causing us all this pain that was the pain that was their symptom but the root cause was a lack of like process and and and, and structured data to like get the answer out faster and pay the right factor And and so so what I was also hearing um, was about like this this double brokering and fraud thing. And like most things, what the symptoms are is really, hey, my shippers hearing about it because they're getting a letter from a law firm that the carrier didn't get paid. Or, you know, we think they they put this load on a rail and it's late. And like all these are like operational problems that are downstream of the cause. And and so to solve the problem, it's not – going and reporting more double brokering on carriers. Like, you know, I love Darren Brewer and I love carrier four and one, but you know, it's not solving the problem. We still we now have more double brokering than we've ever had because that's that's retroactive. It's like reporting the operational problem to a, to a to a message board where everyone else can see it versus like, we got to solve the root cause, which is we don't know who we're transacting with. And what we talk talking about. We don't really know who they are.
0: Yeah, so one of the things I think we've seen is we have some businesses out there that say, hey, this is a bad carrier. Don't work with them. And that's good. But the problem you're saying is that only works if I look at that system every day or somehow integrate with that system. What, what I need to know is the day that I'm starting to bu- book them, says no don't work with
1: them <laughs> yeah well you need belt and suspenders right so that's one part of the solution is reporting and then like you know brokers do that a lot on highway They're reporting carriers and when it happens but the like the facts of that is that it happened and that's what we want to prevent it from happening we're, we're moving
0: from a place of of we have data to give me actionable data don't tell me it's the Monday morning quarterback problem. Tell me on Saturday afternoon what to do. Don't tell me I was watching the film on Monday morning. Sorry for the oh, football man. reference. I miss it already. <laughs> but but that's that's the problem we want our data to have we have more data than ever before but does it give us insights that make our business better and help me avoid the problems don't just tell me afterwards don't don't, don't give me a dashboard that says here's what you did wrong last week <laughs> tell me before yeah. i do it wrong
1: yeah and, oh man and, and you're hitting on something that's like really core to what we want, you know what we're doing what we're going to continue to do and it's what we did at try and pay, which was, Hey, don't worry about factors. Don't worry about who to pay and how to pay do and worry about the fraud that comes with carrier payments. We got it. It's done. We got it. And that's the, that's the path we're on. And that's the path that's our, that's what we're building at Highways. like, just don't worry about it. Like we will take care of it. If they get through us, then it really is the carrier they claim to be and the equipment we show is really the equipment they have. And, you know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Like this is this is what the truth is. Yeah. There's com- but there's complexity to it, right? Because like there is a matrix where people where we're where we're too simple we're too simplistic in how we think about carrier compliance in the world today. It's like red light, green light. That's that's just not that that's too simplistic. There's how- nuance in there. Yeah, it's a matrix, and you got to think about it on a spectrum and say, okay you may be high risk, but what remedies can we put in place to bring you back in line to make you a justifiable carrier? And I'm not talking about safety, I'm talking about fraud, right? Like, what are some things we can do to bring you into more transparency to make you someone we can work with? And and so it's it's a complex ecosystem. It's not just red light, green light and writing some cool database queries to say, oh, this factor, that factor showed up. It's like, hey, how do we create a system where good actors can self-select into self-select and, and do things to make themselves lower risk for. Robbers. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, when I was still selling logistic services, we used to say we have visibility. Now we did have visibility. This goes back 10 years. The visibility was not like we have today, but it was better visibility. It was EDI based. So when we say oh, we've got real time, real time, give or take <laughs> half hour, <laughs> but we've gotten much better. But we used to say transparency. We use transparency and visibility interchangeably. Now I think we look at visibility as tell me where stuff's at as we're moving it. But I'll use if we're gonna work together, Jordan, I want a transparent relationship. I want transparency to who owns your trucks. I want transparency in all of that, just from a perspective of I want to make sure that we're all doing the right thing. And this kind of comes back to and I we had this conversation before we hit record, compliance. When I used to go to the bank a million years ago. Write a check, you had to show some ID or not. There was not it was not as as com- compliance oriented as today, but we wanted to get away from some of the fraud that we had and some of the you know people milking money out of their parents account or something like that. And I think the same thing's happening in business. We're more and more expecting compliance. I also use this as an example. Today, if somebody said, I was sexually harassed in your office, you would have a process for going through and saying, this is what we do. We take, these, the, we take this issue very seriously. Here's the steps that we take to ensure we get the right outcome, whatever that outcome is. I think we're expecting now that same compliance culture and transparency with our carrier partners. And by the way, I should say this. Every time I have these conversations, it sounds like we're saying carriers are all screwed up. The vast majority aren't doing anything wrong. <laughs> I don't think most, yeah. if you got up in the morning to go drive a truck, you weren't a scam, right? If you're running a trucking company, you generally aren't a scammer. But we do have some issues. So Jordan, what is double brokering? I'm a I know not everybody who listens does moves freight every day. So what is double brokering and what is the problem with it?
1: Yeah, let's define it in a in a, in a just a very basic sense, a working definition, and then apply it to how it happens in some different scenarios because there's different causes for why it happens and different risks that comes out of when it happens in different ways. So it it, it in its base definition, it's when Someone takes a load as a motor carrier from a freight broker and in their broker carrier agreement, they agree not to rebroker the load or they agree that they're going to be the carrier to haul it or they have to give, or if they can't haul it, they give the load back to the, the broker. But instead of doing that, they turn around and hire another motor carrier to run the load for them. And so you have broker motor carrier who has the rate confirmation, who's supposed to be running it. And then this broker, this carrier over here who actually runs it. So that's kind of a working definition. The subject scenarios and when it happens.
0: Well, right? that, also while you're talking about it, I, I, we mentioned earlier that a lot of carriers now say we have a lot of owner operators. I, I'm assuming that's okay as long as that's stated in the in the paperwork, right?
1: Yeah, and, and that's and that's where you get a little gray area. Is this carrier really leased on? What is the lease? Is it really a lease agreement? What do you mean, leased,
0: what do you mean leased on?
1: Well, you know, it's like, or, you know, sometimes you'll hear, sometimes they'll say, oh, that carries i least, at I've, I've least they're leased on with me. So they're, yeah, they're one of my owner operators and, you know, they, they, they can run my loads. In reality, they're a completely different entity and they slapped a placard on the side of the truck with this, you know, this new MC number to run this load. Right. And like, you know, there's some of that going on, right. That's, I would say at the far end of the spectrum where you're, you're kind of, that's, what, that's what's hard and challenging is you've got people using these tools and mechanisms to make it appear as if it's not truly double brokering when it really is. Yeah,
0: and I would say we're very used to, in this business, having partners, right? We, as freight brokers or 3PLs, we have partners. And I think, generally speaking, we just want to make sure, I don't care if you are doing something a little different, tell me so we don't all get in trouble together.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Like, I know one story where you had two fleets, they, were, they were basically had same ownership. Well, one had a conditional safety rating and the other didn't. And this fleet took the load from the broker and then trip leased it to their sister fleet that had a conditional safety rating. Well, why that creates all kinds of risk in the transaction is the broker, their qualification, their underwriting requirements said they can't hire conditional carriers. And that ties in all the way back to their insurance, right? And so now you've got a load running on a conditional carrier If there's an event, if there's an accident and something bad happens, you've exposed the broker to a lot of risk in that that transaction.
0: You mentioned a conditional safety rating. So what are the different levels of safety rating for carriers?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you have unsatisfactory, conditional, and satisfactory, and unrated. And the vast majority of carriers are unrated. FMCSA does not have the resources to go out and rate all these carriers. And so it's a small percentage of the carrier base has a conditional or unsatisfactory safety rating. They generally go lose their authority not long after. Um, very few carriers make their way back once they front, fall into those categories. But there's usually something that triggers the, you know, triggers an, an an audit or you know, the safety audit that would result in a safety rating. There's some event or series of events or pattern of SM, you know, of action that causes that to
0: happen. Yep. Yeah. Well, I do know we before we hit record, we were talking about my friend Ryan Schreiber from Metaphora, who's also an attorney. And he wrote an article, I think over the summer, about how C.H. Robinson, great company, they had used a carrier. And that carrier, I think, was in an accident. And then they ended up on the lawsuit because they had brokered that freight to these guys. And by the way, that's the way it's been done for a long time. And I don't think most of the time we looked as, as, as brokers that that was going to be something that would impact us because we did the right thing that but i think lawyers look and say well ch robinson's a huge company and i want that catastrophic payout maybe the trucking company small but the brokerage is huge so they get put on the lawsuit and we we do know that catastrophic awards are happening in this business and so People are not always settling, and they're ending. We hear it every once in a while. Some guy gets hit by a truck. All these are tragic, of course. But then you go, there was an accident. That guy now, his family got a hundred million dollars. You're like, really? We're all paying for that. So, we as brokers and as three pls, and probably carriers, we all need to concern ourselves with: Are we doing something that's going to put us in the liabilities' way?
1: Yeah, and and you know the topic you're, the topic you're addressing is is one that a lot of times it's hard for people to, to, to talk about with just, you know, factually because it brings in emotion, right? You bring in the emotion of a very tragic event and, and, you know, there is absolutely abuse of the, the trial, the trial system of the tort system right now, as it relates to motor carriers.
0: How do you guys help with all these? And again, we just described the double brokering. We described the potential risk with owner-operators. Again, I think most people are doing that right. But how does Highway solve these problems? What, how are you solving the problems that are inherent in some of these relationships?
1: Yeah, so on the fraud piece specifically, what we do that helps eliminate this for brokers, we, we answer three questions for every carrier that comes through Highway. And, and the first is, who are you? And so we use our Signing with Highway experience, which is just like Signing with Facebook or Google to get to the carrier's true digital identity, make it easier for them to get into a broker's network. The second is, are you really the carrier? So we put carriers through our identity engine, which has a patent pending that allows us to dynamically challenge the carrier as they're moving through the process to make sure they really rep- they really have the authority to represent that carrier. And the third is the fleet analytics. What equipment do you actually have? We collect data on equipment on carriers from a variety of public and private sources to create the most accurate picture of a carrier's fleet, so that before you, before a broker works with a carrier, they now have more transparency into who they're really about to engage with.
0: Interesting, interesting. So, what are some of the common problems you help your customers avoid? I mean, if somebody, if somebody, uh, one of your customers is on the on on the call, what would they say? Yeah, Jordan and his team helped us avoid blank and blank.
1: Yeah. So we, the identity theft. Goes away. That's now on us, that the person who's trying to represent that carrier truly is that carrier. And you have a lot of examples in today's world where people are pretending to be a carrier when they they onboard with a broker. They're changing contact information, loads getting stolen, loads getting held hostage until somebody gets paid. And so all that noise and distraction around identity theft goes away. So what do you mean
0: uh, loads getting held hostage? I haven't heard this. I, I saw it not so long ago on LinkedIn, but what's that mean? I think I know what it means. <laughs>
1: yeah. So what's, ha- so what's happening is somebody, you know, a, a, somebody, a fraudulent actor is going to a broker and saying, hey, I'm this DOT number let me onboard. They onboard with them. No one's challenging them that they really are that DOT number. They didn't say, and it's a good DOT. It's a good carrier, right? It has good scores and looks really clean. And then they say, hey, yeah, when you want to send dispatch or when you want to send that rate confirmation, send it to and they give a new email address. That's not really the carrier. And so the rate confirmation comes out, they say, hey, yeah, we'll go pick it up and run it. And they pick it up and then they call the broker and say, guess what, we're holding it hostage until you pay us X amount of money for us to release it from our warehouse. And so it's just a straight up scam where they're injecting themselves into a broker's network pretending to be a carrier that they're not so that they can take possession of the load and then- Oh
0: my God, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, a lot of it.
0: And we all know in this business, I was just talking to somebody, they're moving some of these gaming consoles, but it could be mobile phones. It could be something that is worth millions of dollars in that in that truck. Now, I got to think that the more expensive stuff, I'm assuming the guys who move gaming consoles at this point are pretty strict about what they're doing, but that the stuff that might be happening at the high end for pharmaceuticals for electronics the expectation is now there because customers know it's out there it can be done please do it for me right
1: yeah and and yes there is a threshold where like a certain cargo value like this has to be done you know really well like really manually but more and more the expectation from a shipper is that you go to a broker to make the problems go away right and this is this blows up. And this is, you know, you got to call your shipper and say, you know what, like, I don't know where your trailer, I don't know where the trailer is. I don't know how long it's going to be, you know, and not only are you losing money, you're stressed and you're hurting your reputation with the shipper, you know, even if it's a $50,000 cargo, you know, uh, you know $50,000 cargo value, like it's still pain Right.
0: So you sell exclusively to freight brokers and 3PLs?
1: Yeah. So our Connect solution is only available for freight brokers and 3PL. So
0: let's just say I'm a, a freight broker and I'm listening to the podcast and they say, God, Jordan, Joe is brilliant. I love listening to your show. And I heard you on there. <laughs> let's just say they said that. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> we have a potential problem. Can, how do you help them? How do you engage with them? How long does it take to turn this on? And what's it look like?
1: Yeah. so depending, So we integrate directly with their TMS. So we replace whatever solution they may be using today for monitoring or onboarding with highway. Generally, depending on TMS, you're talking 30 to 45 days of of integration. You know, there's, you know, we just announced our McLeod integration. That's been about, it's been months in the process. So there has been some brokers waiting longer for the McCloud integration to get done. But generally if you're on turbo McCloud, or any of those that we're integrated with, then it should be a 30 to 45 day process. Um, And you should start seeing value, right away. Like we should be, you know, we, we're going to create value for you right away on the identity
0: piece. So they buy it from you and in your software as a service, you charge them every month or do you charge them by transaction? How's that work?
1: Yeah, it's a fixed monthly fee and, you know, fixed monthly fee. So it's easy. They know what they're going to get billed every month. And as they grow, they can scale that cost. We don't, you know, we don't keep charging them for every single carrier that they add to their network. We want them to grow their networks and not worry about their bill every month. So let's just
0: say I have, I start working with you and I'm a, I'm a broker and I'm using turbo and you're already integrated with turbo. So it's not a big integration. Now, are you going in as your, is, as highway accessing my carrier database, my carrier network and saying, okay, these 5,000 carriers, we're going to look at them and get, do are you rating them or how does this work?
1: Yeah. So. What we do is we work with you to create what we call like a classification or rules, like a rule set around how you want to qualify your carriers. Um, So we have a variety of rules that you can apply to different levels of classification for your carriers. And so, yeah, if a carrier is failing your rules, we're going to turn them off in your turbo so that your carrier sales reps can't book that load. And then if the carrier goes back to passing the rules, we'll turn them back on in, in your Turbo TMS so that you can use that carrier.
0: So give me some, give me typical rules, the top five rules that they would have in. Top five rules, I mean, obviously
1: you want to the, validate their authority, their DOT operating status, as well as like interstate authority generally. We're looking so making at.
0: sure they can actually do this legally,
1: right? Yeah, that's a good one. Insurance, so insurance requirements around cargo and VIPD are generally in there. And then most people have something around... So
0: you, you might say they a lot of carriers might have insurance, but maybe for your loads, you say, I want them to be at least this much for all these different classifications of insurance, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. So we, you can create high value, a classification for high value freight, one for temperature controlled or one for general freight. And so you can have different rules for your different types of freight. And you know, obviously with your high value freight, constricting higher requirements on those carriers.
0: But this, this is great because when I'm, if I'm a shipper, I'm looking and saying, I picked a 3PL because they are experts. They are basically my procurement team for freight because I don't want to have to deal with that internally. And so I've, every once in a while, I've had freight brokers say to me, "What's well, not my fault if it's the carrier. I go, but you picked the carrier. Like, <laughs> that, that, that's all you were paid to do is get the carrier. So don't, don't act like it's not you are joined at the hip with that carrier. And if I'm going to be joined at the hip with the carrier... I want to be able to vouch for them. And that's that's a challenge based on what we've been talking about. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Like getting to know who they are quickly.
0: So you gave us a few. So one is insurance. One is they they actually have, they're actually legally able to move this freight. What are some others?
1: The other one's generally around fraud, fraud prevention. So what visibility do we have into the carrier's equipment? Is there discrepancies between what they have maybe insured versus what we're seeing in their observed equipment portfolio? Is there a lack of knowledge of where they operate? Because we can't see enough data about them from just inspection data. And so any of those may trigger highway to take some other action with the carrier to to rectify, to find more information about the carrier, to make sure they're real and they really have equipment. So that's probably the third one that's the the most involved and complicated.
0: So when I'm a carrier and I work with a freight broker, they say, how many trucks do you have? And I say, well, I have 25 flatbeds and I have three reefers, and two just dry. And, and they say, okay, we wrote it down. We put you in our system. That's that. Now I hire Highway, and Highway says, whoa, whoa, that, broke, that, that carrier exaggerated what they have. They don't own all that. How do you do that?
1: Yeah, so how do we put it in the TMS, or how do we know the answer? How do you
0: know the answer, and then how do you put it in the TMS?
1: Yeah, so we get the data from a variety of independent sources, so both public and private. So everything from the DOT and DMVs to equipment finance providers, we get it from a variety of different sources and piece that together. That's the hard part of stitching it all together. And then also telling you what type of trailers they actually are. So put in a nice little summary for you in both you can see in highway. And then also depending on your TMS provider, we'll then insert that data into your TMS. So even if you had some carrier sales rep in, or they had 50 power units, they really don't. If they really have five, certain TMS integrations, and depending on how the broker customizes it, we can go in and update that in the TMS so you have accurate data there as well.
0: Yep, yeah. And also, I'm assuming you can tell me what our owner operator, their relationship with the owner operators that are working with them, because you said it's okay if they have a lease agreement that, yeah, that guy, is his, his truck is leased to my company, leased on for the next year. Is that... Is that going to be enough for you guys, or how? What are you looking for when it comes to that? Because again, that's—I'm not an expert in any of this. I'm a shipper. I just want to know that you, as my broker, along with your partner at Highway, are not going to get me in, in a trick bag.
1: Yeah, it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's very complex, and we're still in early innings on what we do with owner operators. Today, what we're able to do is at least identify for you when we see owner operators running. Good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then tell you if it seems like it's a way too high disproportionate number of the power units in that fleet, that would make you say, is this really a real fleet or is this like you said, I have 200 trucks, two are mine and 198 are everyone else's.
0: Well, also, and I know this is a whole nother podcast, but we had that law change in California last year where yeah, it made it a lot more difficult. What, what, what is the name of it again?
1: AB5, AB5.
0: And so it really made it harder for contractors to be contractors. And I think a lot of owner-operators ended up having to create, either move out of the state or create an entity, the different kind of entity to continue moving freight. And maybe to comply with AB5, I'm going to have to have, maybe you're going to end up with state-specific laws. I mean, rules, I should say.
1: Yeah, it's a very complicated environment right now for independent contractors. Which these and it's not going to get
0: any easier. <laughs> no, it's not. The government doesn't ever get smaller. I mean, we can try and streamline things, but there's going to be more rules, not fewer rules. And I think also, again, we we have seen um, you know lawsuits, and I think everybody is very sensitive to the idea that I do not want liability. I, I want to be able to say, here is. Here are the rules, and here's how we're complying to those rules. And I got to think if somebody said, "Well, you're not complying to those rules," and he goes, "Hey, look, we we pay we pay a, a third party highway to come in and make sure that we're good on fraud and identity theft and double brokering, and yeah, we're making more informed decisions than than our competitors. And that, I want to be able to prove that in a court of law, and and maybe maybe beyond the court of law, I want to be able to show my shippers that. Right. If I were right now was selling logistics services, like freight for brokerage services, I would want to be able to tell potential shippers, you want to work with me because we do things right. And that can't just be because I wrote it on a PowerPoint. I want to be able to show, here's how we comply better with the rules that are out there. Here's how we're going to keep the liability down on your projects.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly take the risk of fraud out of the transaction so it's not in anybody's face. It doesn't blow up. Because when it blows up, it blows up big and it's not fun.
0: Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it. And again, we do also, I don't, I've not paid close attention. I should ask my, our friend Ryan to talk about it. But if one lawyer decided I can sue C.H. Robinson because of who they brokered this stuff to, we're going to see more of that, not less of that, because we have a lot of big freight brokers. And again, every time there's a lawsuit, from my understanding, they say, Joe was liable. He's the first party, putting, also putting Jordan on and Tom and anybody else, the guy who served them lunch that day, I'll put him on there. Anybody who has pockets can be sued, right? So we all have to be able to show in this day and age, we are, we have a lot of litigation. We have a lot of compliance that we have to meet it's not a bad idea to get that third party involved. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm paying true. the brokers that's for. True. That's what I'm paying my <laughs> broker for. I mean, that's how I, I would look at it. If I'm a shipper, Is like, it's your job to keep me out of trouble. I paid you to understand all this nonsense that I don't. As exactly. As brokers it's don't, a don't have world. enough to do. As if they don't <laughs> right. have enough problems right now, huh?
1: That's right. And managing 40 carrier salespeople who want to move loads and you know get, the, get, get loads covered instead of worrying about, Does this meet all my compliance box? Check their requirements.
0: Well, it is got to be one of those things that keeps you up at night. And by the way, I have have interviews with people who do the carrier. If you're a carrier, the compliance you have to meet is ridiculous. I'm not, not saying we shouldn't have it, but it is very difficult. And if you do get in on the wrong side of the law, you're potentially going out of business. So not easy. So anyway, who's your ideal customer? Who are you working with? And again, one more time, what problems are you solving for them? And how do you earn your keep? What's the ROI on this thing?
1: Yeah. So our ideal customer is a freight broker 3PL who is looking to put a firewall in front of their carrier network and prevent this activity from getting in. We work with, we work with over 200 freight brokers in the country today. 200 paying customers, everybody from Schneider, Edge logistics to, you know, smaller brokers that are just getting going and want to do it right from the beginning.
0: I think, I think it's a selling point.
1: We do know, like it showed up, like we've had, uh, we've had sh- brokers show it to shippers and demo it to a shipper and say, this is what we're doing to prevent this from happening. you exactly, I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I think there's, the shippers are becoming more and more sophisticated. And I think they expect the sophistication we've seen in the freight brokerage market. And again, it's how do you get me out of trouble? How do you avoid the trouble before we get there, right? So you're working with mostly, but it sounds like you're working with very large companies also, but you're also working with the small guys. So it's just freight brokers in general, all 20,000 of them, if that's the the current number. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you're really moving freight, you know, there's a lot of Broker authority out there. I think people just have it on the side. You know, they need to that they, they need it. But yeah, brokers that are brokers that are doing over five million of of gross volume a year or four hundred thousand a month, it probably makes sense to have a tool like this to make sure you don't get burned and it hurts your customer reputation.
0: I like it. I like it. So you were introduced to me by our our mutual friend, Adam Robinson, over at the Robinson Agency. I've known Adam for a long time. He is, um, I always say, one of the very best marketing... Well, he's got a marketing company, the Robinson Agency, but he is one of the very best marketers in the space. And um, he introduced me to you. But I'd like to interview smart, interesting people like you, Jordan. Who else should I interview on my podcast?
1: Yeah, well, I'd recommend you talk to Omar Singh, over at Surge Transportation. He's done some really cool th-
0: That's S-U-R-G-E?
1: Yeah, Surge Transportation.
0: Okay, I will do that. And what do they do over there?
1: So he, he is a freight broker, but he focuses on surge freight. So like whenever you have excess freight that you can't handle, that's where he focuses. And so he's got quick response times. He's got an API that shippers can use to, to ping him for pricing and, and capacity data. And he's deeply integrated with some really cool TMSs like Blue Jay. I think he's doing some stuff with Oracle and SAP as well. So he's on the front of integration and trying to get integrated with shippers so that he can be he can be there in their routing guide when they need help on certain, um, certain lanes or certain projects. So it's very cool.
0: I just had Kara Smith-Brown on my podcast from Lead Coverage, another great marketing company. And I think she does some work with Adam Robinson. But one of the things she said to me, and I thought it was interesting... She said in the boom market of a few years ago, we, there was new freight in the business, new new business around. So it was like, hey, I normally go to Jordan and Joe and they, well, my freight, but now they're only moving about 80% of it. So you need somebody who's that overflow. And that's that's often why freight brokerages are so vital in this space is because when you can't find capacity and your normal guys can't find capacity, you go, to, you go to someone like Omar. So I yeah. look forward to talking to him. So before we go, what I'll do is I'll put, a link, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And give us some final thoughts on this topic before we wrap it up today.
1: Yeah. What I would tell people is I think we are just uncovering the tip of the iceberg. So today what we see, the activities we actually hear about, the fraud we actually see is really just the tip what's below it is what's really driving. And we're just now getting into the depths of that. And the value of what this means for the industry is it's it's not just it's not just reducing double brokering claims. It's making everything work more smoothly. Like when you don't when you actually know who you're working with and you have transparency into who they are and what equipment they have, you just reduce down the friction and the operational the operational pain that comes from not having a proper firewall and qualification process on the front end. And so we're going to take that pain out of your business. So it's not just about reducing fraud. It's just about reducing noise, the reputational risk with the customers, but also making your operations more efficient because they're not dealing with all these exceptions and and painful situations like hostage loads and double brokering. I
0: love it. I love it. And by the way, when I keep thinking about it, when you find a great carrier or, I'm sorry, you find an option at that one minute, they're the best carrier on earth because you didn't have a you didn't have a carrier for that lane, and then when you're talking to them, a lot of times people are from English is their second language, not a problem, right? But I'm talking to them on the phone, and I'm looking them up in my system, and I'm looking maybe their website's dated or not non-existent, and I'm no LinkedIn profile. I, I'm I'm going online and trying to figure out what's what. They could be a great carrier, but that's the that's kind of what I need to know is. I don't want to have to judge based on that guy's first language is in English, and I'm, I, we didn't have a good connection, and he was a little short with me on the phone, eh, no website, no LinkedIn profile. I don't know this guy. I guess I can look him up in the system, but so much better if I can to bring in Highway and say... Tell me it's okay, or tell me it's not okay. But I don't want to have to. I don't want to have a gut feel decision here. I want it to be this is the right decision for me and for my customer, the shipper.
1: No, I agree. I agree. And like there are there the vast majority of carriers are great people and great actors and doing great work. It's the small piece that causes the problems for everyone else, and and we've got to get that. We gotta we gotta make it we gotta to continue to increase the difficulty to operate fraudulently in the industry. And that will help not only brokers perform and be more efficient and, and provide better experience to their customers, but it'll also help good carriers who are really doing the loads, who are really working, right? And it'll help them too if we if we can root out the bad actors out of the, the carrier pool.
0: Right, and you said earlier, and I love it, it we tend to have a red green mentality on this. You're either a red green and maybe there's some yellow, but we need to get that. We need to put the nuance into this. And you also mentioned, here's the requirements for my, my high value stuff. Maybe those are mobile phones or pharmaceuticals versus some of the stuff that's maybe the lower value. We need to be able to make these nuanced decisions quickly. And the challenge we have is there's a, there's not enough good information out there to make all these informed decisions. And that's our job in the in the logistics space is we're we used to having partners, but we gotta be used to having partners we can all trust.
1: No, exactly, exactly, love it.
0: So what conferences will we see you at?
1: I'll be at the TIA here in the spring and then Freightwaves Waves in the summer in Cleveland and then the McLeod and TIA in the fall. And, and if Freight Waves has one in the fall, I guess we'll probably be there too. Well,
0: are you gonna be at Manifest? Are we are gonna see you out there?
1: I so this that was crazy to me is the second year I never heard of it and then like the week leading up to it like everyone I knew was going so we'll be a manifest next year yeah uh,
0: yeah I will I will I will connect you I just talked to Courtney I I went through that I always ask people what conference you're going to and the year ago a year ago fe- February late January I was asking people well, conferences, and then people go, I'll be at Manifest, I'll be at Manifest. And then I started hearing Manifest was the best show I went to last year. And I was like, I don't, I never heard of it. I don't go to all the conferences, but I was like, I never heard of it. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay. So then I went this year and it is spectacular. And uh, for everybody who wants to get out of the cold of the Northeast and the Midwest, <laughs> Vegas is not a bad place to be in in February. I'll, I'm also going to be at the uh, Transportation Sales and marketing is down in Savannah, Georgia. That's not a bad place to be in June, and it's a beautiful city. I'm looking forward to being down there. Great, great organization. So um, anyway, Jordan Graf, I really appreciate what you're doing, and I appreciate you coming on my podcast.
1: Joe, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure getting to spend time with you, and it was really fun talking through some of these solutions to the problems in the industry.
0: I'm I'm glad you understand it because I, I understand it at a superficial level and that is not nearly enough for what you guys are doing. I mean it's it's we are making split second decisions, it seems, and not easy. So I'm glad you're you're giving you're giving the freight brokers a, a, a much needed tool. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.